The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Hey, welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welger, and you are listening to episode number 92. Today is Monday. I'm not used to saying that. May the 14th, the day after Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Happy Mother's Day to my mother. If you're listening, which I know you do occasionally. And I hope everybody had an enjoyable Mother's Day, and that's why we're recording a day late to uh we took the day off in honor of the mothers so i would also like to wish a happy mother's day to the mother of my co-host who's joining me fresh off of almost taking a nap all the way from new jersey jeff the animal wilson jeff how you doing on this monday afternoon and happy mother's day to your mother thanks bill happy mother's day to your mom too um it's been a weird day, Bill. It started off pretty chilly, and then it got warm. So it's like desert weather out here. Yeah, we're, we're having some weird weather, too. It's getting into, like, rainy season here. And it's unfortunate for my sister. She's coming to visit this week, and it's supposed to rain every single day she's here. So she's coming down from New York for some Florida sunshine, and she's going to get some Florida monsoon weather. But it is good for my mango trees. So I guess there's a give and take there. I want to, I want to start, there was a ton of MMA action this weekend, but before we get into that, Jeff, I want to tell you a story about something that happened to me over the weekend. So the, I have a uh, central air conditioning in my house and it's two separate units for the downstairs and the upstairs, the upstairs unit shut off at the thermostat. So I pulled it off the wall. I changed the batteries, put it back on. And it still wasn't working. So then I found some water in the hallway. So I climbed up into the attic and the overflow switch was triggered, which means there's probably a clog in the drain line, something along those lines. And I went up there with a shop vac and I vacuumed up the water and I'm kind of tinkering around with it. So I'm standing on the very top rung of the ladder, if you can picture this. And the rest of my body is in side the attic so only from like my knees down or out of the attic and i'm tinkering around with this hvac unit and all of a sudden the biggest hornet i've ever seen in my life comes flying right at my face while i'm standing on the top of this ladder and i have nowhere to go <laughs> so <laughs> luckily i've gotten <laughs> i've gotten back into boxing lately jeff and my my head movement didn't fail me. I had to <laughs> I had to very gently <laughs> bob my head out of the way while this thing flew right at my face. So I climbed down off the ladder. Luckily, I didn't fall. Climbed down off the ladder. I closed the bedroom where my daughter was in case the hornet decided to come out of the attic. And uh, I I got a bug spray and I went back up there and I couldn't find it. And then I turned around and the thing's flying right from my face again. So I sprayed, I sprayed the thing in midair and all the bug spray, it's like a, 
it's like a fogger. <laughs> it all just blows back into my face. And the Hornet, it was like a movie. It dropped like this far from my face. It just dropped <laughs> Jeez. Right into the attic, into a, a bed of insulation. So I, w I went up there and looked around and luckily there wasn't a nest. It was just a rogue Hornet uh, that, that was up there, but pretty terrifying experience jeff i gotta say i felt like i was in a national lampoons movie or something like that uh <laughs> needless to say there was a large quantity of alcohol consumed after i got down from the attic but in any case the air conditioner's fixed all is right in the world and uh you know tequila so <laughs> anything interesting going on in your life, Jeff, or am I the only one uh, living in a comedy movie these days? Yeah, I think it's just you, Bill. I mean, I had a wasp come into my classroom while I was teaching. And, you know, I'm the teacher, so I can't miss work. So I just had one of the kids kill it. Yeah, there you go. I mean, it, it, they got to earn their medal somehow. Yeah. <laughs> in any case, let's get into some... Uh, we'll start off with UFC. Obviously, there was a Bellator card this weekend as well, but... UFC was a pay-per-view, uh, much bigger card, not a ton of marketing behind it. I would be interested to see the numbers, how they did in terms of pay-per-view buys. It looked like the arena in Rio de Janeiro was very thin. Uh, for the undercard, there was almost nobody. And even during the main card, it looked like they were trying not to pan the audience at all. You know, usually there's like some celebrities and who's here and they pan around and people drinking beers and, you know, girls with their tits out and whatever else. Um, none of that for this. Uh, and I don't know if it's because the, t the gate didn't do well or or what, whatever the case was. So UFC 224 was headlined by uh, women's bantamweight champion Amanda Nunez. Uh, and she was fighting her former teammate, Raquel Pennington. So you had some strong opinions on this fight last week, Jeff. You thought Rocky would be able to get the job done here. You thought she had the tools uh, to take Amanda out. What were your thoughts on the fight? And there was some controversy with the ending as well. We'll get into that. What were your thoughts on the fight and the way it finished itself? Bill, I thought Nunez looked flawless in there. I thought her cardio was going to be a bigger issue. I don't know what she's been doing, but it's working. You know, she By the end of that fight, she looked like she had finished her warm-up or something like in the locker room. She, you know, her cardio was awesome. Her striking was was not as vicious as it usually is. It was controlled, it was technical. It was it wasn't her trying to, you know, swing for the fences. It was which, you know, uh she's super technical as it is, but she just she was picking Pennington apart. And Pennington, I think she was a little too respectful, um, bordering probably scared of Amanda Nunez. And, you know, that fear ended up um, making her want to essentially stop fighting uh, after the fourth round, which you can't blame her for. She was dinged up. Her nose looked like it was probably broken. And her, she turned to her cornerman and she said, I want out. Uh, I don't want to do this anymore. And her cornerman... <clears throat> kind of looked like he just lost a family member and was just like, no, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's give it everything we got. Yes. Uh, all right. Go ahead. Finish sorry it. to cut you off, but um, in, into the four, into the fifth round, um, I didn't hear Raquel's 
Rocky's uh, corner at all. I didn't hear any technical advice. Even that talk in between the fourth and fifth rounds, there was no technical advice. It was just, let's give it everything we've got, which Bill, just the way he sounded, he knew, I don't know, uh, Rocky's coach, I don't know his name, but <clears throat> excuse me, he sounded like he had kind of given up. And I think that sending Rocky into that fifth round was a really bad decision. I, I felt like they probably should have thrown him the towel. Okay, yeah, interesting perspective. Uh, before I comment on how the fight ended and Raquel Pennington being sent out for that fifth round, I don't want to take anything away from Amanda Nunez's performance, which, as you said, was pretty flawless. What we're seeing now is a composed Amanda Nunez who is able to conserve her energy and throw smart punches. She's not throwing big looping shots trying to put her opponent away. She was throwing shots right down the middle with beautiful extension on her punches. Uh, it was really awesome to watch. And that low calf kick she was using against Raquel Pennington uh, really threw Rocky off. And, it you know, you lose that lead leg, you can't shoot for takedowns. You can't, you can't get as much power on your punches. It was a really spectacular game plan. And she was just so composed. This is a scary thing because the recipe to beat Amanda Nunez used to be simple. Survive the first round and then, you know, she'll gas out. Even her teammates would, would say this about her in the past. And, you know, most people didn't make it out of that first round, which is why she was so scary. Now I believe we have a scarier Amanda Nunez. Does she still have that same power now that she has increased cardio i don't know we also didn't see a call out of cyborg which i think a lot of people were hoping for uh, a lot of people want to see that super fight between the bantamweight champion and the featherweight champion i don't know that that's off the table because i i thought that fight was going to come together and then all of a sudden we had this fight so it seemed like it was put way on the back burner but in any case let's talk about raquel pennington's corner because she did turn to her corner and say I'm done. I want to be done. Uh, and they sent her out for the fifth round and said, you know, get out there and let's, let's recover later, you know, get, get out there and give it everything you've got. So I have mixed feelings about this, Jeff, because I feel like when a fighter is, is done, the corner should be responsible and throw in the towel, but you also don't know what kind of relationship she has with her corner because you know, you and I have both been through the kind of workouts and through the kind of sparring where you say things like that. And then a minute later, you feel fine, you know, because you're just so exhausted and so beat up. But you don't know if she would have regretted it for the rest of her life if she didn't go out for that fifth round, which is what her girlfriend or wife, Tisha Torres, had said about the decision. She said, uh, I agree with. Rocky's coaches to send her out there. Uh, you know, we know her best and she would have regretted it if, if she didn't do it. And, you know, sometimes it's easy to just say those things to, because you feel so busted and broken up and exhausted and, and she got so completely outmatched, but that doesn't mean she couldn't have gone out there in that fifth round and catch Amanda just right. Um, I mean, it was a really low percentage, but sometimes you got to take that chance. And it, it's a tough call. Like we saw last month, Joe Lozon's corner uh, wisely threw in the towel for him. 
because they know him, they have that relationship with him. They know what he's been through in his training camp. If he's been knocked out during that training camp or whatever else happened, if he had injuries. So you kind of have to trust that Raquel's corner knew what they were doing. But at the same time, you, you brought up a good point where they weren't really giving her much technical advice. It was, and they didn't say, go out there and try this, you know, try the one, two, follow with a head kick. Uh, they weren't giving her any tips or or ways that she could win. They just wanted her to go out there and be able to say that she finished the fight. So on the one hand, you, you know, I have to defend the corner because, you know, I know guys who say things like that, and that's just them venting. And they really have the gas in the tank to get out there. They just need that push. So maybe Raquel needs to be motivated in that way, and her corner knows that. But then again they should have been doing a better job of actually coaching her through the fight. So I don't think they deserve as much criticism as they've been getting just because of the fact that, you know, they let her go out on her shield. It's not like, it's not like she was incoherent and seemed like she was getting brain damage. I mean, she had a broken nose, but you know, it's a broken nose, breathe through your mouth. Uh, And then it doesn't look good that she got finished a little while after that but uh, it seems like they're all friends you know they were training partners i guess tisha used to be amanda nunez's coach uh i also want to make note that this is the first time two openly gay fighters have fought each other for a world championship so that's a really cool thing and i I thought it was a great fight to cap off what was a spectacular card with 11 finishes which i think tied for the second most in ufc history so from what was a very underwhelming card on paper, I think was actually one of the best cards of the year, uh, if not the best card of the year so far. Uh, we had some really exciting fights and some really awesome and unique finishes. Anything else on the main event here, Jeff? Uh, yeah, I think yeah, I think you uh, brought up some interesting points in uh, you know regarding the corner. And you're right, you know they probably know the they probably know Rocky better than we do. Um, but I think if you're going to send out your fighter like that on their shield, like you said, at least, you know, give her some advice, give her something to work with. But, um, again, like, like you said, it's, it's, it's a gray area, unfortunately. Um, but I think we can move on. I did want to add something, but for the life of me, I can't remember what it is. So Bill, why don't we go through this co-main event here? Cause I was really excited for it. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, This I think was the fight of the night. If you remember what you wanted to say, Jeff, you can just bring it up at any time. I'm not going to edit it back to the beginning because as you all know, I don't edit this show. We just, we plug and go and then we post it. (laughs) That's how we roll on MMA on the rock. So the co-main event fight of the night, in my opinion, uh, not even close. This fight was so back and forth and it, it was back and forth everywhere a fight can go. So Kelvin Gastelum getting the split decision win over Jacare Souza. And this surprised me for a couple of reasons. I kind of scored Jacare winning the fight. I also could have seen it being a draw. So I scored the first round for Jacare, which was a, a very clear win for him. The second round was a very clear win for Kelvin. I would even entertain the argument that it was a 10-8 round because Jacare was almost finished in that round. But then I scored a third round for Jacare, but that third round was really close. 
So if you give Kelvin the 10-8 in round two, then it would have been a draw. But if you did it 1-1 and then the third round for Jacques Ray, Jacques Ray would have gotten the decision. That's the way I thought it was going to go. I thought it was super close, but given the fact that this fight was in Brazil, I thought 100% the decision is going to go to the Brazilian fighter. So given that it was so close, I'm really surprised that Kelvin came away with the decision. I don't think it was a robbery, but I do think that Jacare did enough to win. Um, but he was almost put away in that second round. And you, you got to admire Kelvin Gastelum, who's coming up a weight class and just steamrolling this middleweight division. He looks much better as a middleweight than he ever did as a welterweight, in my opinion. And it seems like the guy just... It's like Chael Sonnen said, like you can't really tell like what he's good at, but he's good at winning fights. And that's exactly what he did on Saturday night. So what were your thoughts on this, Jeff? How did you score this one? Did I, did you see it differently than I did? No, I actually, I'm in the same boat as you. I kind of saw it for Souza a little bit more. I felt like uh, he definitely got the first round. His jujitsu on the ground was awesome. You know, credit to Gashalom for staying calm and, uh, wriggling out of uh, the armbar at the end of that first round. Um, the second round, definitely for Kelvin Gashalom. Swalza was clearly out of it. Um, even uh, as he was going back to his corner, he almost collapsed. Uh, I guess he thought the stool was under him, and he just had a lapse of judgment, but he, he looked really exhausted. And in that last round, I had it for Jakare just because, you know, he looked better on the stand-up. I think... Um, also, his recovery was awesome, and he was—he took down uh, Gashalim a few times. So I really thought that he, you know, I thought he had a 10-9 in that third round. But again, uh, like you said, uh, maybe if you give it 10-8 to Gashalim, it's a draw. And I was kind of in the same boat. Because it's in Brazil, I really thought they were going to give it to the Brazilian fighter, considering how close it was. But I guess it was not to be. I guess the judges saw it a little different. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't think uh, Jacare's stock goes down any here. Uh, it is unfortunate to see for him because he's a guy that I would have liked to see fight for a title, and he's getting up there on years. Uh, he's knocking on the door of 40, I believe, 38, 39, somewhere in there. Um, Kelvin Gaslam calling for a title shot. I don't know that that'll happen just because – uh, you know, he's had quite a run at middleweight, but there's been a couple of speed bumps. So he started out with the unanimous decision over Johnny Hendricks and kind of the, an uneventful fight. Then he completely mauled Tim Kennedy. Uh, he did the same thing to Vitor Belfort, but remember that fight was overturned because Kelvin tested positive for THC. And then he has the submission loss to Chris Weidman. Uh, and then the knockout of Michael Bisbing, but it was a Michael Bisbing who had just gotten demolished by George St. Pierre not three weeks ago. Uh, so I actually think the Jacare fight is his most impressive win at middleweight, but I think he's not going to get a title shot because he can't jump the line over Chris Weidman, who I know is out with some injuries uh, because he got finished by Chris Weidman. So there's probably going to have to be another fight for Gaslam. What would you like to see next for each of these guys? Have you given that any thought, Jeff? Not yet, but Jakari, hmm. Yeah, it's tough, man. Jakari's kind of in limbo here. I guess 
Maybe you could have him fight Chris Weidman, but I have they fought each other yet? I'm not even sure. I don't believe so. Okay, so uh, maybe maybe we could do that, but I'm kind of in agreement. I don't see Gashalom jumping the line in front of Chris Weidman, especially after that loss. I mean, it was pretty decisive. It's not like it was a close decision. It was a third-round submission. So I don't know. I think Gashalom asking for a title shot here is a little premeditated. I'd like to see him actually fight Yoel Romero if uh, Romero loses to Whitaker again. Uh, yeah. Let him fight the loser of uh, that title fight. Yeah, that's exactly that, what I was thinking. Whoever loses the title fight, uh, make that a number one contender. Uh, but then you run into the problem, like say Romero loses and then Romero beats Gastelum. You put Romero in there for a third time against Whitaker. Not a bad problem to have. Uh, the middleweight division is pretty exciting. We got some up-and-coming killers uh, there as well. Um, so, And we saw a couple of them. On, on the card uh, earlier in uh, Mutante and Carl Roberson. So uh, let's keep moving down the card. So uh, one of the biggest talks leading up to this event was Mackenzie Dern and Amanda Bobby Cooper. So Mackenzie Dern weighing in almost seven and a half pounds over the straw weight limit. Uh, so she weighed in, and there were a couple of reasons she was criticized. She weighed in. And immediately after weighing in, she walks over to the breakfast table and starts grabbing some muffins and like what whatever else is over there. It it just sh she showed an attitude that she didn't care, and I think that was more damaging to her than actually missing the weight. She's known for missing weight. She's done it many times in the past, and I think it was more excusable before there was a women's flyweight division, but now. Clearly, she should be at flyweight because if she was even slightly attempting to cut weight and walked in at 123, you know, just fight at 125. Uh, there's not that huge of a difference. I I would be a little more understanding if it was a day where it was between fighting at 115 or fighting at at bantamweight at 135. But this is completely inexcusable. It was disgusting. Um, she got railed on on social media. However, if we're just looking at her performance, I have to say her striking did look better. Granted, she put down a girl who was a weight class below her with a big punch, and then her grounded pound was extremely sloppy. And obviously, once she got into jiu-jitsu mode, uh, her jiu-jitsu is super tight, and she was able to finish with a rear naked choke. What were your thoughts on Mackenzie Dern missing weight the fact that Amanda Bobby Cooper stepped up to take on a flyweight, essentially, and uh, your thoughts on the fight itself, Jeff. Yeah, the fight itself, I think that you gave an accurate description. Her, you know, her striking definitely looked a lot better, especially that overhand right. It, it, it looked like, how do I put this? It looked like she was going for all fight, but. Oh, man, I just wish she didn't loop so much. Um, there was just this huge gap in between her head and her overhand right. But, I mean, it's the shot that took Cooper down, so that was pretty good. Like you said, her striking did look much improved. And as for the weight cut, man, I was super disappointed. She, you know, she. you don't have to just make weight for MMA. You also have to make weight for jiu-jitsu if you want to cut weight. So it's not something new. It's not something that she hasn't done before. She knows what she's doing. And also, in addition to her 
missing weight. I think she, I heard that she had missed her flight to like a press conference or a weigh-in or something. So she showed up late. She, she misses weight. I feel like it's just a complete disregard and disrespect for Amanda Cooper, which we talked about. She's kind of being fed to Mackenzie Dern, but I, I feel like um, with Kelvin Gastelum, he couldn't make welterweight, so they made him fight at middleweight. So I feel like you kind of have to have the same firmness with Mackenzie Dern. I don't think you let her off the hook. I think that she should be a flyweight. Um, and that story of her um, just grabbing breakfast after missing weight, that is just, oh, man, like that that's really disappointing. That, yeah. That shows no concern, no respect for the opponent, no respect for the sport in general. Um, just put her at flyweight. Yeah, agreed. I think the UFC has already made a statement uh, along those lines that they want to see her at flyweight going forward. It's tricky with a fighter like this because she does draw a lot of attention. Uh, she, uh, Her debut, I think, uh, you know, drew a lot of views. Uh, she gets a lot of buzz on social media no matter what she does. But it does seem like the higher the talent level, the more drama comes with them. That seems to be the same across all sports. I mean, you have, you know, you're John Jones and you have, you know, name name your celebrity sports athlete that, you know, that they're, they're so talented and then they can't stay out of trouble. Supposedly, Mackenzie Dern was also kicked out of her gym in Arizona uh, during her fight camp. So I don't know the full story or what happened there, but yeah, you know, fight was on Saturday night and Mackenzie Dern wanted to get it over with quick because Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. So <laughs> that's probably where the motivation for the first round finish came. In any case, uh, speaking of missing weight, John Lineker was on the card. So John Lineker in an awesome fight against Brian Kelleher and when we broke this down last week, I had said that obviously on paper, John Lineker should have been the favorite uh, for a lot of reasons. Brian Kelleher was calling up here and he got what he asked for. And I did say that Brian Kelleher is one of these guys that you can't count out. And I, I think at, at no point during the fight was he ever in huge trouble. He wasn't getting his offense off, uh, very much it seemed like he was fighting really hesitant and then uh when that finish came it came like a typhoon in the third round so Kelleher getting knocked out um by a big punch by Lineker who was probably taking a big risk taking this fight against a much lower ranked opponent what were your thoughts on this one Jeff Bill unfortunately I didn't see the entire fight I only saw this massive right hand that dropped Brian Kelleher like a bad habit but man you know, we've talked about John Lineker quite a few times. The man's named Hand of Stone. When he's on weight, he's dangerous. So much power in his hands. You can't teach that. Um, so he just, from the highlight that I saw, it was only about a minute, but he looked great in there, man. Yeah, probably uh, the hardest hitter in that bantamweight division. So uh, great performance from him. I don't know where that puts him in the rankings, but uh, always exciting seeing him fight. Uh, maybe give him the loser of TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt, maybe give him the loser or the winner of uh, Jimmy Rivera. And it's slipping my mind who Jimmy Rivera is fighting. Uh, I believe it's um, Morhaeus. I think he's fighting. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, so before that, 
uh, a little bit of deja vu. So Vitor Belfort getting knocked out with a front kick from Lyoto Machida, looking almost identical uh, as the front kick that Anderson Silva knocked out Belfort with. And after the fight, Belfort leaves his gloves in the cage. He had said this was going to be his last fight, but he also said he wasn't retiring. It it was strange. Maybe he's just done in the UFC, or maybe he's retired for good. Uh, if that's the case, we have to thank Vitor Belfort for, gosh, almost two over two decades, uh, pretty close to, if not over two decades of of mixed martial arts. Uh, you know, youngest uh, UFC heavyweight champion ever, I believe. Uh, at 19 years old, or was it light heavyweight? Uh, I'm getting confused now, but uh, in any case, well, one of the most exciting and explosive fighters in UFC history, um, you know, always put on great performances. Uh, the fight last night was very strange. These guys respected each other a lot in the first round, and neither one of them really engaged much. And then Machida, uh, coming out of nowhere with that with that front kick. It was just, he, he kind of gave like a, a slight faint, like a turn of the hips. Like he was going to throw a leg kick. And then the front kick came right up in Vitor's face. And, uh, the respect from Machito was pretty awesome to see. He immediately stepped back and bowed it at Vitor and Vitor was out for a while. It was a, it was a very scary knockout. So what were your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? And what are your thoughts on uh, Vitor's retirement, leaving the gloves in the cage? Yeah, dude, it was really exciting. Well, not the first round. They were they kind of just moved around each other, but that second round was nuts with that uh that up kick. Uh, you know, kind of like how Anderson Silva finished Vitor Belfort. And yeah, dude, I loved Machito's respect for him. He bowed to him. Uh, he you know sat on his heels until Vitor was okay. And dude, I gotta say, obrigado to Vitor Belfort, man. Uh, I'll never forget seeing him just demolish Tank Abbott with this uh, flurry of just really powerful punches. And, you know, he was one of the first guys, um, you know, in the days when there were no rules, really, when there were no weight classes. Um, you could, you know, it's just, ah, man, he's he's been through so many eras of the UFC, and he's he's been one of those guys that you if you want a name for yourself you have to face him and you know uh i was always a big fan of vitor belfort so i'm glad that he if he is retiring i'm glad that he knows um when to retire he's not one of these guys who you know keeps fighting and and racks up a bunch of losses i think he understands uh what he's done for the sport i think he understands that unfortunately his body is not what it used to be like when he did win that first heavyweight championship but uh credit in the world to both of these guys man two of my favorite brazilian fighters it was an awesome matchup to see them in there together yeah absolutely and vitor belfort one of these guys who you know i'm guilty of it he's kind of an easy target to make fun of and make memes and and everything like that especially the way his body deflated after usada came into the picture but uh, make no mistake, I'm a huge fan of Vitor. I always have been. Uh, he's one of the most exciting fighters of all time. And, uh, you know, he, I think probably his fight with Vanderlei Silva was one I remember the most where he just mauled him and he just, like, ran across the cage fist first. Uh, and Machida calling out Bisbank, saying, you can't retire without fighting me. So what do you think of this call-out, Jeff, and would you like to see that fight? 
I love it, man. I think the UFC needs to make it happen. I think Bisping needs to stop being around the bush and just fight Lyoto Machida. Um, two legends of the sport. And I think it's a great way for uh, for Bisping to ride off into the sunset. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So we were talking about the middleweight division and uh, contenders coming up. So we had two of them last night in Cesar Mutante Ferreira and uh, Carl Roberson. So Roberson coming off the uh, contender series, he had a 15 second knockout there and then he had a submission victory in his first UFC fight. Definitely a highly touted contender. I think he was just jumping into the deep end a little bit too quickly here with Mutante, who has a ton of UXC experience, won the Ultimate Fighter Brazil season one, I believe, finished this fight off with a, a really nice uh, arm triangle that was just so deep and so tight. Uh, it, it was hard to breathe just watching it. So what were your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, I think that Carl Robertson may have tried to bite off a little bit more than he could chew because we talked about Mutante last week. The dude is scary. His jujitsu, I would almost compare it to Jakari's jujitsu where he's trying to hurt you. And um, that arm triangle looks so tight. And uh, Cesar Ferreira just has those giant delts where you just know when he locks that up, you know that your throat's going to close up quick. Yeah. So maybe we do Mutante versus Jacare. Uh, that, that might be an interesting fight. Uh, I don't think Robertson goes anywhere after this. I think, uh, you know, maybe since he's a kickboxer, get him somebody in that middleweight division who will get in there and, and stand with him. I would love to see him get in there with like a Tiago Santos or, um, maybe a, a lower ranked guy. Uh, but I think there's some, definitely some interesting matchups for him. I don't want to see him go anywhere. I think he definitely has the potential to climb the ranks. I think he just needs to get his feet wet a little bit before jumping in there with a guy like Mutante. So we had a, another unorthodox finish that was not so surprising. So Alexi Olenek getting the Ezekiel choke again against a diaperless junior Albini, uh, who, you know, was looking pretty good in there. You know, his striking was real crisp. He was busting Olenek's face up. But once that guy gets a hold of your neck, man, he, he basically locked up the Ezekiel choke, which is basically like the best way to describe it. It's a rear naked choke from the front. So let's call it a front naked choke. Uh, <laughs> and it, for those who don't practice jujitsu, this is a move that is almost exclusively done in a gi because the way you do it, you have to grab a gi collar in order to get enough extension on your arms. Most guys cannot lock this choke up because you have to reach around somebody's head, grab your own bicep and then get your other hand under the guy's chin. And this is a very difficult thing to do, but I don't know if it's just the way Olenek is built or whatever the case. I mean, we've seen him hit this choke while being mounted. It's just his thing. He just goes for it wherever. So he locks it up and then he pulls half guard and finishes the choke from half guard which is also really unheard of. You know, the, the best way to get this choke, even if you're wearing a gi, is from the top position in the mount. Uh, it's the by far the easiest way to set it up. So the fact that he's able to do it off of his back and do it so regularly in the heavyweight division, which with 
especially with a guy like Albini, who I believe cuts weight to make heavyweight. That's a big fucking neck to reach your arms around and get that Ezekiel. So uh, this was the most impressive submission on the card, in my opinion, and there were quite a few of them. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, Bill. Honestly, if you gave me a thousand years to guess how this would finish, I would not think that he would go for that same choke again. Just because it's so hard to pull off, you know, normally, like you said, it's usually done in a gi because you can kind of reach into your, reach one hand into your own sleeve and it gives you a little bit of space to straighten your arms out and get it. Like, dude, I, I really didn't think he was going to go for this again, but I love it. I love him for doing it. Junior Albini, he went for it while they were clinched. And Junior Albini, by the time they hit the ground, it was too late for him. But, dude, uh, super impressed. As for Junior Albini, I think maybe we should give him someone who's a little bit further down in the rankings. I think uh, he's not ready to roll with some of these top guys yet. I think he's being uh, – I think he needs to, like you said before, uh, get his feet wet um, and, you know, maybe take on some unranked guys. I uh, can't think of any off the top of my head. Uh, but, yeah, man, uh, he was looking good up until that point, man. But that choke is just – I don't know how he does it, but he pulls it off pretty regularly. I'd love to train with Olenek and see how he does that. Man. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a thing. Like some guys, they just have a certain body type or a certain flexibility, and they have that move uh, that they can just pull off from any position. And uh, it's really impressive to see him doing that at this level against guys that size. Uh, and in a really thin heavyweight division, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with both of these guys. Uh, Albini, I think is super talented and I, I think he can, he can get back in there. Um, uh, an interesting matchup might be Olenek and Arlovsky. Arlovsky has been on a tear lately. Uh, Olenek has a bunch of finishes. Uh, Arlovsky has experience to avoid that ground game, you know, with his Sambo background. So that might be, uh, an interesting matchup there. Um, mm. uh, so right before that was another really slick submission. It was Davy Ramos against Nick Hine. So Nick Hine wanted to keep this fight standing, obviously, because Ramos is nasty on the ground. Uh, but he uh, he knocked Ramos down at one point and and asked him to stand back up. He wanted nothing to do with the ground game. And then Ramos hit him with a really nice double leg, took him down from his half guard, locked up a Kimura from top half guard. He then jumped out of half guard, basically jumped over Nick Hine's head and lifted him up and then slid and took his back. So it was like a Kimura trap back take. And uh, if you're interested in what the Kimura trap system is, look up uh, Wagner Rocha, uh, who is probably most famous for uh, kicking AJ Agazarm off the stage in a, in a Polaris grappling tournament at when Agazarm turned his back to him. But Wagner Rocha uh, has the, uh, he is basically credited with the Kimura trap system, which is usually the Kimura from a bunch of different positions to set up back takes and, and set up different kinds of finishes that aren't Kimuras or that are also are Kimuras. So it was a really slick back take. The fact that he did it from top half guard was really impressive because he used the Kimura as leverage to kind of turn Nick Hines back to him. And then he slid under his back. Uh, you kind of have to watch the fight to see what I'm talking about exactly. But uh, this is definitely uh, worth going back to watch uh, if you haven't seen this. Did you catch this one, Jeff? 
I did not, unfortunately. I'm actually trying to look up the highlights now because that setup sounds really sweet to me. Yeah. But uh, I'll check it out a little bit later. But um, yeah, just the way you're describing it sounds really interesting. And, you know, in jujitsu, there are certain moves that kind of go well together, like arm bars kind of go with triangles and omoplatas, where you can kind of transition from one into the other with little to no difficulty. So I definitely got to check this out. I've never heard of that, actually, that Kimura system. Sounds really cool because um, Kimuras are more for stronger guys, so I like to go for them. So I might have to check this out. Bill, uh, sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. Uh, no, so uh, just the – yeah, I would I would definitely say look up that fight, the uh, Ramos versus Hein. Uh, it was a quick one. It ended in the first round. Uh, they're, they're actually calling the finish a face crank. Uh, it was uh, – so – it was a rear naked choke, basically, that wasn't under the chin. So before that, uh, Santos, Elizu Santos, and Sean Strickland. Uh, so Santos finishes this fight in the first round with a nasty spinning wheel kick and, and just puts Strickland right down to the mat. It was uh, it was pretty awesome. His nickname, I believe, is Capoeira. And you can see why if you watch this highlight. Another one worth watching. Uh, and then almost all the other fights at the bottom of the card were finishes. So Warley Alves getting a TKO in the second round over uh, Sultan Aliyev. Jack Hermanson knocked out Talis Leites in the, in the third round of their fight. And then Marcus Perez uh, had a, rear na- a really nice rear naked choke over James Baknovic, who is known as a ground fighter. Uh, so really awesome uh, bottom of the card. I, I was kind of like, I was half involved in this card in the beginning when I started watching and it got me hooked. Like I was trying to do some other things while I was watching the prelims and then I got hooked on them. So, uh, Perez was an interesting one. He's another middleweight who's up and coming. Uh, he did lose his last fight to Eric Anders, but a really impressive uh, finish. He's got some really slick jujitsu. So uh, any thoughts on, on that kind of quick rundown there, Jeff? Yeah, dude, definitely go back and check out that uh, Eliseo Zaleski dos Santos versus Sean Strickland KO because that spinning wheel kick was beautiful. Out of nowhere, never saw it coming, hit the deck as soon as that kick landed. So super, super exciting fight. Yeah, and thanks for uh, helping me out with the pronunciation of the of the name there. And uh, so, yeah, really great card. So, if, if this is one that you picked to uh, to not watch or to not order for whatever reason, um, you know, now you get some good fights to go back and watch. Uh, definitely, uh, I would say start with the with the Jacare and Kelvin Gaslam fight because that fight was bananas. Um, so you have anything else on UFC 224, Jeff, or can we move on to Bellator here? No, I think we can move on to Bellator because, Bill, honestly, I didn't even know that there was a Bellator card this weekend. Yeah, a lot of people didn't. Um, I, I was watching the UFC on my iPad, um, and I, I just had the Bellator on TV with the sound off, uh, and it was just kind of background noise. But uh, when a fight was going on in the UFC, I was paying more attention to that. So the only fights really worth talking about so Aaron Pico, who is one of the top uh, collegiate wrestling prospects to come to transfer into MMA, just an outstanding collegiate wrestler. 
He also has developed some nasty striking. Very young guy. He knocks out Lee Morrison in the first round uh, of their fight. Uh, I don't know what the story is here if this guy was just brought in to get destroyed by Aaron Pico, but Aaron Pico has been uh, very active for Bellator. So he made his debut in June of last year, and he has fought. This was last um, Saturday night was his fourth fight since then. So he lost his debut. He got submitted with a guillotine in 24 seconds, and then he's been on a streak of three straight knockouts. So at only 21 years old, this is a guy who has uh, so much potential for Bellator, and maybe we'll see him in the UFC uh, at some point down the road. Czech Congo, uh, name you probably haven't heard in a long time, gets a first-round knockout of Javi Ayala, which is you know, pretty impressive and things are pretty wide open with the Bellator heavyweight division since the, the uh, tournament's going on now. So, you know, Czech Congo could get back in the running uh, for a title shot. And then the co-main event, probably the most talked about fight on the whole card. And that was John Fitch versus Paul Daly. So you can imagine how this one went. John Fitch took Paul Daly down past his guard and beat the shit out of him for three rounds. At the end of the third round, Paul Daly was essentially mounted. He was turned over on his side. John Fitch was over his guard, but kind of keeping one one leg hooked just for leverage, which a lot of wrestlers like to do, just punching Paul Daly in the face. And Paul Daly just starts talking to the camera, saying, this is bullshit. This isn't going to get Bellator any fans. This is fucking bullshit. And, and then he just starts booing. <laughs> He just starts yelling, boo, boo. And what's funny is at one point he starts saying this is bullshit and his his voice gets muffled by John Fitch's fist going into his mouth. So he's like getting a crap beat out of him, but he's like booing the fight. And we all know that Paul Daly hates wrestling and he wants nothing to do with it. He wants to stand and bang with everybody, but you're fighting mixed martial arts. Either learn how to get back up or defend takedowns if you don't want to be on the ground. I, I don't think you can get upset when a guy is able to put you on the ground at will and then beat the shit out of you. Because if this is a street fight, John Fitch would just lay on you and maybe the punches don't hurt you. But if he does it for an hour and a half, <laughs> you know, you're going to be you're going to be in a lot of trouble. So uh, I think Paul Daly should probably just quit MMA and and do like glory kickboxing or something because I'm kind of tired of hearing him complain about getting taken down and smothered. And uh, a lot of people may not remember Paul Daly was kicked out of the UFC forever because Josh Koscheck essentially did the same thing to him. And then at the end of the fight, Paul Daly got up and walked over to Josh Koscheck and punched him in the face. So obviously his sportsmanship has improved slightly since he didn't punch John Fitch after the fight, but a uh, really dominant performance by John Fitch in his Bellator debut. I know you didn't see it, Jeff, but any thoughts on this fight or the actions of Paul Daly here? It sounds interesting, man, because I've always had a lot of respect for John Fitch. He He's a great welterweight, man, and I know that not a, a lot of people would agree. A lot of people probably think he's not exciting, but tell me a bad fight that he's had, and tell me – how much trouble he's had. He hasn't had a lot of trouble with a lot of guys, man. This is someone who you can compare to George St. Pierre, essentially. Um, you know, he's got the wrestling. His striking's pretty good. 
Um, but yeah, dude, uh, like you said, Paul Daly can't get mad. You know, learn to defend takedown, learn how to get out from under somebody, or do what Uriah Hall used to do and just punch your way out. Um, I remember him doing that on the Ultimate Fighter. But but yeah, unfortunately, I didn't watch this. I'll probably go back and check it out. Um, but yeah, Paul Daly just he sounds like a brat at this point. Yeah, it's it's kind of obnoxious. Like it, it and if you're fighting John Fitch, you have to know what to expect. I mean, this is one of the baddest wrestlers at, at welterweight ever. So you have to know you're getting taken down. And John Fitch just kind of laughed it off at the end. He was like, Hey, I did what I had to do. I won the fight. It's like you can't you can't stop it, so you can't complain, uh, is my feeling on it. And uh if you're a regular listener of the show, you know my opinion on wrestlers i'm a little biased my feeling is what i always tell people is have you ever tried to hold down somebody who hasn't who doesn't want to be there especially an explosive professional athlete someone as explosive as paul daly especially so this was an impressive performance to me uh, i wouldn't say go back and watch the whole fight jeff but definitely fast forward to to that third round so you can see the antics you can see how easily john fitch was able to take Paul Daly down. He struggled a little bit in the first round, but as the fight went on, you know, he, he figured out his spots in his chain wrestling that worked and he was able to take Daly down at will, obviously. So the main event of this fight was part of the Bellator quote unquote heavyweight tournament. Uh, even though it was the light heavyweight champion and the number one contender at light heavyweight fighting at this one. And that is uh, Ryan Bader and Muhammad King, Mo Lowell. So King Mo weighed in, I think at like 213 pounds. So what he's doing in a heavyweight tournament, I have no idea. I don't know what Bader weighed in at, but he definitely looked a little bit bigger. These two do have a history. They wrestled each other in college and King Mo handled Ryan Bader, uh, pretty well, uh, and, and won the match obviously. So I don't know if that was in the back of Bader's head, but, uh, this fight ended in 15 seconds, Jeff with uh, Bader getting the first round knockout hit him with a big hook. He kind of stepped out really wide and then brought that left hook like from the third row into King Mo's face. Uh, and that was, that was it, the end of the fight. Uh, so Bader moves on in the tournament. He's going to fight. Uh, the name is slipping. Uh, right Mitrione, I believe. Yeah, Matt Mitrione. That's the name. So that'll be interesting because here you have basically a light heavyweight going against a legitimate heavyweight in Matt Mitrione. Uh, but Bader looked, you know, pretty big. And then on the other side of the bracket, we have a, a middleweight in Chael Sonnen taking on uh, a legitimate heavyweight in Fedor. So it'll be interesting to see how this thing plays out. Uh, another thing to add in here is that King Mo said he was moving down to middleweight after this. And I believe it because he weighed in at 213, obviously. And he had on jeans and a hoodie and everything like that. So he probably walks around at, you know, 209, 210. So, it, you know, if he leaned out a little bit, middleweight would be a great place for him. Uh, he's been around a long time, though. So I don't know how much longer he intends to stick around. He's 37 years old. Uh, and I'm happy to see he's going down to middleweight because that's exciting. I don't want to see him face Bader again for the light heavyweight championship after this tournament's over. And I definitely don't want to see him fight rampage Jackson again. <laughs> uh, so I just threw a shitload of information at you, Jeff. What are your thoughts here? 
Yeah, I feel like Bellator is starting to get better at uh, making cards and matching fighters with each other. So this card uh, from top to bottom looked pretty good. It looked like there were quite a few finishes on it. So good for Bellator, man. I, I want to see them do well. Uh, I want to see them give the UFC a run for their money. Uh, they they have a style, They have a pretty some talented guys on their roster. Uh, I like that they have John Fitch. Aaron Pico is definitely someone to look out for. Um, I was a a little. I felt like his hype train got a little derailed with his debut, but he's picked it up since. Um, you know, I he's fought a bunch of nobodies, but hopefully. Um, we get to see his skills on display uh, in the near future. Yeah, for sure. All right, so it was a pretty good card uh, from Bellator overall. The problem with Bellator is they put so many fights on the card, and I'm looking at the results now. Like Some of these fights say that they, they haven't even happened yet. So what they do is they get to a certain time, and they start the main card, and then anybody who is fighting on the undercard will fight after the main event, uh, which I really don't like about them. I think that's really disorganized. You know, keep it to 12 fights or something. Don't put 18 or 20 fights on a card. That's ridiculous. Nobody wants to go there and, and sit for 12 hours in an arena. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a lot of people will even just show up for the main card. They won't even come for the prelims and stuff like that. So I I'm with you though, Jeff. I want to see Bellator succeed. Uh, they're, they're talking about doing Rampage Jackson versus Vanderlei Silva part four, which like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to see that. That's almost as ridiculous as Oscar De La Hoya starting an MMA organization. And he's trying to get Chuck Liddell versus Tito Ortiz part three. I mean, we saw how that ended twice. It, it wasn't much different. Uh, these are two guys that should probably stay retired, but <sighs> I'm ashamed to admit, Jeff, it's a fucking spectacle and I'll probably watch it if it happens. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope Oscar De La Hoya doesn't make any money off of it because fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, man, he he's a wild one. Yeah. Uh, you know, I guess he's got to fund his, his pantyhose habit or, or whatever he's got to do. Uh, you know, no judgment here. In any case... Uh, I don't know if anything else is going on in the news. Let's take a quick look. We got a fight night coming up next weekend, and it's going to be in Chile. And it was supposed to be headlined by um, Santiago Ponzinibbio and Kamaru Usman. So Ponzinibbio had to pull out um, and Damian Maya stepping in. So that's the main event there, Damian Maya against Kamaru Usman. I think that's a really interesting fight. Uh Kamaru Usman, a lot of people, for the longest time, a lot of people didn't really care for him. He was a little dull. And then Joe Rogan said he's the most underrated fighter on the roster. And then everybody started kissing his ass. Uh, I do think he was underrated, but I don't know by how much he is. He is fairly well-rounded. He's got some knockout power, and he's got great wrestling. I'll say that about him. Uh, Damian Maya, this is a dangerous fight for him taking on short notice, but you know, it seems like Damian Maya is always a guy who has his back against the wall in this organization for whatever reason. I, I don't really understand it. So I'm um, just looking up and down the card here, seeing if anything else jumps out to me and nothing really, which tells me that this is probably going to be a fucking awesome card because that's usually the case. 
if you don't recognize the names, those are usually pretty hungry fighters. So, uh, you know, you have a moderately interesting main event and then who knows what else could happen, but that's the reason we love this sport. Uh, any thoughts on this card, Jeff? Yeah, dude. Uh, the main event looks really interesting stylistically. Uh, you have the wrestler versus the jujitsu fighter, so it should be pretty good. And then I see Brandon Moreno on here. He's a good Mexican fighter. I believe he was on the Ultimate Fighter Nations or Latin America, uh, one of those two, but a uh, solid flyweight. Hopefully he can breathe some life into this division that is overruled by... Uh, what's his name? Demetrius Johnson. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, he's fighting uh, Alex Pantoa there. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I don't really see I don't really see anything else on here, which is rare because normally I I'll you know pick out a, a sleeper match or something like that. But um, oh, Alexa Grasso is fighting in the co-main event against the undefeated Tatiana Suarez. That'll be a great fight. I'm sorry, I overlooked that one. And then uh, you got Jared Cannonier on here also fighting an undefeated Dominic Reyes. So that could be interesting too. All right. The more I'm looking at this, the more excited I'm getting for this. Uh, I'll definitely be tuning in. It's a free fight night. So why the fuck not? Right, Jeff? Yeah, I'm all for it. All right. So I don't have anything else to report here. I've been drinking a lot of tequila lately, but. Uh, and that's because, you know, I read somewhere that it's healthier. So I, I've been doing that. I don't have any brands specifically I want to plug here. No no uh, sponsors this week. But, uh, you know, as always, send me your, your drink recommendations. I'm always looking to try something new. Uh, I saw a lot of cool stuff you guys are drinking during the fights on Saturday night. So I always like getting those tweets about what you guys are drinking because that's a lot of what this show is about. It's about regular guys who like to drink some booze and watch some violence. So if you want to get a hold of some of those regular guys, feel free to do so on social media. You can reach Jeff at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. And of course you guys know how to get a hold of me. It's at MMA on the rocks, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, anywhere else on social media. I'm out there. So, uh, shoot me a line. Don't be shy. Let us know what you're thinking and drinking out there. All right. That's all we got. So until next week, cheers, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>